It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down American loser the day I was born Welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. We're here. Where else could we be, LP? <laughs> no other place. A shared universe. There ain't podcast no place like this place. So. In Eatontown, New Jersey. There's now, no place like home. It's the truth. <laughs> you know what it is? If we were to try, anytime I've tried to do the show outside the studio, it just never works. Okay. Or it works. It just doesn't work as well, I should say. So if you're a regular listener, uh, here's what we do on the show. We take uh, a weird, obscure story from American history. We shine a little light on it. And if we can, we try to determine if there is, in fact, a loser in uh, the story. Today, we got a pretty good one. It's This one's straight <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's, it's, it's not going to be open for debate. No, so uh, real quick. Oh, it's my, a uh, very clear cut. Yeah. You're a freaking loser. <laughs> right, right. He's I think a, you're going to like it. Charter member of loserdom. Yeah, it, uh, he might be the biggest, uh, one of the biggest losers we've ever covered. So uh, real quick, uh, we have to just acknowledge who else is in the room, though. My dilf of a dad, Larry Burke, is here. Hey. hey. All right. I'm your host, KP Burke. I'm a stand-up comic in New Jersey, a big, big uh, history fan, thanks to the man sitting across from me. And uh, also uh, a guy we've brought into the family on this thing, man. We love you, buddy. Uh, the big kahuna, the best soundcast hey, producer in New Jersey. Is. Hey. So. I love that I'm considered family at this point. Like, your oh, family yeah. loves me. Oh, it's, absolutely. it's awesome. Absolutely. You get asked about at uh, events and stuff. It's pretty cool. But <laughs> in, you know the first event that I'm showing up with, I'm going to show up in like a, like a kahuna outfit. Like, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, at first we used to use kahuna as your nickname to keep you safe for your identity protected. You know, we are to show Now I first. can care less. Yeah, now it's <laughs> – especially if this, uh, if this thing starts making money someday. But – uh, we got to hop right in, man, because we got a, a hot one here. Yankees are in the playoffs. Potential uh, game three, they can clinch the division series tonight. Uh, the uh, the Giants are going to be playing on a short week here, so we couldn't record on Thursday. We want this podcast to come out tomorrow, so I'm going to get this to you guys as soon as possible here. Without further ado, Kuna, uh, we're not a political show. No. We don't talk politics here. Never. But there is something that's in the news right now, politics-wise. Uh, have you heard of the word impeachment? Uh, it's it's come across my desk a few times. Yeah, impeachment. It, it pops in all the time. There's, it seems like ever since uh, President Clinton got impeached, he was actually formally impeached, that um, uh, people have this weird misunderstanding of it. So there's the impeachment process and there's the actual removal from office and all these other stuff and they have uh, charges brought against you. There's, there's a whole lot of bad info on both sides of the aisle here. Fun I don't fact know if about it's bad it. info, but misunderstanding. Of yeah. It. Fun it's, fact about impeachment. That was also a thought you had. The first time you made me sp speak on this damn show, because then you were like, "Damn it, he just won't shut up." Now. <laughs> nah, dude, it's uh, that fateful day. Um, well, we got a good one here for you today. A lot of people don't know this. We put up a trivia question on uh, the American Loser uh, podcast page and my Instagram page, asking uh, last week how many uh, presidents were assassinated. A lot of people got it wrong. Yeah, how many presidents were assassinated while in office? Exactly. So now what we're going to be doing here is. Uh, 
we're actually going to talk about uh, everybody for the most part knows that Clinton was actually impeached. He was not removed from office. There was no, you know, there's no criminal charge, all that other stuff. But uh, the first president in the history of the United States of America to uh, have impeachment proceedings take place against him and actually technically be formally impeached was who, LP? Our own Andrew Johnson. The 17th president of the United States. What do you know about him off the top of your head, Collins? Abs- nothing, uh, to buddy. be completely honest with you. In Andrew, my head. And Andrew Johnson? Correct. Yeah, no. He's not Lyndon Bain. <laughs> <laughs> not Andrew Jackson. Right. Not uh, Nixon. Nope. He is uh, routinely ranked as one of the... Uh, the, uh, we'll be polite. We'll call him one of the least successful presidents. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a nice way yeah. to say it. But uh, his story's wild, man. Want to guess who he came into office uh, after Kahuna? Okay. You want to take a guess? Who's after him? No, no, no. no. So who did who? he come into office following? Oh. Uh, uh, I don't want to guess this, but I'm only going to guess it because the name was dropped earlier. Was it Lincoln? Hell yeah, it was, buddy. Okay, look at that. All right. Think of who got something right today. <laughs> Score, point, point scores. Well, like, without further ado, we got to dive into this Let this be this known one. that this is my new favorite episode. Because <laughs> you got the one right? Because I got the one thing. Dude, you're gonna, your jaw is going to hit the floor on a couple of these moments here. Cause I got my popcorn ready. We're good. Okay. I thought in my head, dude, I really thought I sat there when I was reading this. I was like, we're really just going to focus on the impeachment of Andrew Johnson. But to do that, does a... a what do you want to call it, an injustice to the rest of his life? I mean, this guy's interesting. Yeah. So here we are. As the Civil War is drawing to a close, a gunshot rings out in Ford's theater and uh, changes the course of history forever. You know, back in the back in the 1800s, that's when actors actually, uh, you know, got out there and did something about the world they were complaining about, you know? <laughs> some, 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 Nowadays, John some Wilkes Booth would just make a speech at the Emmys until the friggin' you know the band has to play him off. You know, you think so? That's a <laughs> <laughs> well, President Abraham Lincoln would soon be dead, and the new head of the executive branch of the United States was a tailor's apprentice who was born in a shack in Raleigh, North Carolina. So, born December 29th. I mean, that's tough. You don't get as many Christmas. Yeah, well, you had Lincoln, who was born in a log cabin, mm-hmm. followed by Andrew Johnson, who was born in a two-room shack in North Carolina. So. And, and they all both would reside in the White House. So, finally, a win for government housing. Right. right? Moving on up. <laughs> that's right. So, like I said, born December 29th just ruins everybody's holidays, you know. Uh, 1808 in Raleigh, North Carolina. North Carolina, fun state, man. I get a kick out of it. A couple of times I've been down there. Um Andrew Johnson was born to a poor family, like you said, Dad. Neither of his parents were literate, and Johnson was born in a two-bedroom shack. Um, how many bedrooms was uh, Poplar Street in Dumont growing up? Oh, for we you? had three, baby. Three? <laughs> three bedrooms and a bath. Uh, so we'll call them humble beginnings. Is that fair to say for old Andy Johnson? Yep. Well, his humble beginnings, they wound up playing this huge role in his later life. He never attends school, and he wouldn't learn to read until much later in life. Here's how you know his parents had it rough, Cahoons, all right? His parents both worked as tavern servants, although his father had worked his way up to becoming the town constable until his death. You know, was con- it like a sheriff type Yeah, thing? like right. a, a sheriff. You know, more. In my mind, it's almost like, because it is North Carolina, so I pictured Andy from Mayberry. <laughs> Andy and Mayberry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. here's, uh, mm-hmm. here's what's wild. This is where he turns more Barney Fife. Um, he... Uh, <laughs> His father dies when Andy Johnson is three years old. Okay. Okay. Um, now, the way he dies is he died after rescuing three guys who were drowning in a river. And he was ringing the town bell, I guess, and had a heart attack and died. So. 
Wait, he was ringing the bell? Yeah, and he was ringing the town bell and died of a presumed heart attack after literally just saving three guys from drowning in a river. Well, so. the town bell is kind of like uh, the the uh, fire signal that we might have today that you're letting you know all the neighbors know far and wide to come and help and whatever, but apparently... Uh, a little too much excitement. Doesn't have to save in three guys. I saved some lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except my own. That's the problem. He goes, he goes, oh, that guy, I saved three guys that drowned in the river, but no one's ever going to know about it because I didn't live to tell my own tale. So <sighs> sad shit here, man. Now, uh, he is three years uh, old when we said that. Now, his mother becomes the sole breadwinner, if you will, and she winds up working in a job known as a washerwoman. All right? I don't know if you guys know much about what that's almost uh, – in my head, it's kind of like a cleaning lady, but definitely a lower rung. No, it's, rung. it's beyond that. Well, uh, no, not beyond that. It's lower than that. Well, it had a stigma to it, too. That, right. Uh, she's now a woman, a, a, a widowed woman, you know, and uh, she is entering into uh, various different men's houses every day unaccompanied. So the rumors persist nonstop all the time. Now, there's already a rumor, too, that uh, Andy Johnson doesn't look like his father. So they're already starting to sit there and say, well, maybe, you know, maybe his mother, maybe she had some extracurricular activities. <laughs> so Even before Andy's father died, right? Yeah, right, so right. little Jon Snow action going on here for old Andy Johnson. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a rough go of this here. So uh, there are also rumors, like we were saying, that he could be a bastard child. Now, at age 10, Johnson gets apprenticed to a local tailor by the name of James Selby. Okay. LP, uh, how old were you when you got your first job? Well, it depends on what you want to call my first job, but uh, well, when did Grammy sell you into you know <laughs> into indentured servant? Yeah, when did you start swinging uh, a hammer? That, that didn't happen, but you know, cutting lawns or uh, working at uh, whatever, delivering newspapers. So I guess I'm maybe 14. Okay, what about you, Cahoons? When was your first job? Or I'm sorry, when is your first job going to happen? Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would ask you the same question. That, yeah, uh, there you go. Hey, man, I served our country as a washerwoman. So. <laughs> I was uh, 16 or 15. Okay. No, it's about the age, man. But Now, here's the pisser with getting sold into a, a tailor apprenticeship. Uh, this guy, Selby, essentially owns Johnson's life from ages 10, and he's not free in, uh, to be on his own until age 21. Right. That, okay. that was the apprentice yeah. program that, uh, and based on uh, how nice the guy was, it was how well you're going to be fed and your, what kind of a treatment you're, you know, whether you're going to get whipped for your mistakes or beaten for your mistakes or whatever. I mean, yeah, an, an apprenticeship is a tough program, no well, doubt. Well, it is. Now, I'm sitting there, I was bitching and moaning about doing six years in the Navy, you know, because originally when I signed up, I, I didn't know how long I was going to be in for. I knew that they owned me for six years. I didn't want well, technically for eight, but they only used me for six. Right. But uh, yeah, that's eleven years, man. That's a rough go, right? There. Yeah, and you're a ten year old. Yeah, you're not, ten years not old. Not a twenty something. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I was playing video games uh, within the last ninety days. I would say this guy no video games for him, and no, you got to learn to be a tailor. So, at first, he didn't care much for this tailor trade, but he did show some skills, and he was pretty good at it. Uh, he excelled at learning basic math and uh, very limited reading abilities. Okay, this is all self-taught for the most part. People sit down and talk to him. Now, here's something kind of cool. A tailor shop back in the day, Cahoons, is kind of like a barber shop. Guys go in there. They're getting fitted for a suit. People come in. There's a lot of talk, a lot of chit-chat. And since the guys were going to be in there for a long time, they were readers. They would come in. They would read books or short stories to the tailors while they were working. So that inspires our boy Andy Johnson. He gets super into public speaking. 
and he loves these kind of cool stories. He also isn't like now he's a voracious reader all of a sudden. I mean, if somebody was reading, they were reading aloud to the rest of the Oh, yeah. I mean, that had to be like Netflix. Room. Right. You know what That's I mean? That's it. I mean, it's your turn to read and pass the, the one book that they might have. The story have. starts sucking. I don't want to renew my membership this month. <laughs> Stop right. coming in here. Yeah, be weird if the page said, are you still reading? Yeah. <laughs> book of the month club. So uh, it, because of that, it sparks like a very deep interest from Johnson who develops these uh, strong public speaking skills as a result of the exposure to this. So you don't have to go to school. Man. You just have to get kids interested in something, you know? That's like Charlie Curcio, uh, who was a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, homeschooled kid, one of the smartest guys I ever met, you know? But does he know how to shove a nerd in a locker? No. No, he does not. <laughs> All right? Can't shove. When you're a homeschool kid, you can't beat up the nerds because it just means they're your cousins. And it means you're beating on your little brother. <laughs> oh, <no>. oh, God. <laughs> so uh, now, although he loved to talk about the issues of the day with the customers, Johnson was unhappy working for Selby. And at age 15, mind you, this is after five years. Five okay? years working for this guy. Yeah. Five and years. You've you got to part that off, too, that I mean, if, if mom is uh, alone trying to uh, – be the sole breadwinner and, and taking in, you know, washerwoman work and everything else that uh, she's probably shipping him off just to one less mouth to feed. And then now it's on to James Shelby to uh, figure out how he's, you know, he's going to be provided. I believe it's Selby. Yeah, Selby, know, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I said Shelby. I know that uh, Peaky Blinders uh, yeah, right. is back, so it's not right. the Shelbys, it's the Selbys. But uh, at age 15, he and his brother run away. His younger brother got conscripted, if you will, into this kind of trade school thing. Uh, just like him in another apprentice program. And uh, Selby responds. He goes, uh, you know what? I understand. You guys get out there. You're kids, man. Go out there. Nope. He puts a bounty on their fucking heads. Whoa. <laughs> yep. Whoops. I'm the first one to break my own F-bomb rule. We're trying, guys. We're really trying, okay? I want PBS to pick this show up. And I I was the one trying, man. It's, you did good. You did I'm good. I'm doing real good, okay? Someday this is going to be turned into a TV show. It's going to air in, in between an episode of Frackle Rock. And Sesame Street. <laughs> Cartoons. Yeah, right. That's Animated. Right. Animated American be, I'm going to curse so much that you're just going to have to censor me as a person. Like, I'm not even going to be able to show up like that episode of South Park. The Shield. Uh, that's beautiful. That's, um, <laughs> well, uh, what he winds up doing, he puts out a bounty on uh, the, the heads, if you will. Uh, there's a, a cash reward for the return of his apprentices. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's already invested five years in these kids. So, oh, yeah. I'm getting, I own you for six more. Right, right. You know, that's, again, that's the you're other weird thing. After, not even halftime. Yeah, it's not necessarily indentured servitude, but like you said in the car ride down, maybe just a hair above right. indentured servitude. Right. So it's a tough go around if we're up, but these guys, they disappear. They make it out to uh, Carthage, North Carolina, but they kept fearing they were going to be arrested and that they would later, uh, you know, get returned down to uh, Mr. Selby. Now, in order to uh, escape from that, they actually make it on foot all the way down to South Carolina. Now, you and I have driven through the Carolinas, LP. Mm-hmm. That's a good couple hours. Yeah, you're not, you're not zipping right through that one. No, sir. Um, so on foot, they make it down to South Carolina. He uh, actually starts up uh, a little tailor business of his own down there. Actually, no, I don't know if it was a business of his own. I think he was just working as a tailor. Right, he finds work. Yeah, and he uh, falls in love with a local girl. All right, tends to happen down there. Carolina girls have a way of – when they – when they say y'all, there's just a thing that kind of melts uh, kids from Jersey's hearts a little bit, you know? How it's is there tough. not a song about them yet? That's a <laughs> <laughs> Got 
California girls. You got, got California to... girls, but no Carolina girls. Oh no, there's a uh, you don't listen to much country music then. That's the problem. It's almost See, all. See, but it can't be country because then it limits the potential. It's uh, it's true. It's I'm telling you, when I lived in Jacksonville, that's when I started to realize um, it, it is a, a whole other world uh, down south. All right, it's. I wish they it, all could be South Carolina <laughs> girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, it's a it's a soft spot here. He uh, he wants to uh, try to marry this local uh, local girl. She is not into it. Okay, she rejects the marriage proposal, and then Johnson then uh, returns to Raleigh uh, in an attempt to reach terms with Mister Selby. He wants to buy out his contract and his brother's contract, if you will, and uh, they're not able to come to an agreement. So Johnson now feels forced and compelled. He's got to get out of there. He's got to go somewhere where he can't be returned to Mister Selby. So he moves out west. LP, you spent some time in a certain uh, southern state, if you will. Maybe, uh, maybe a king was from there recently. A king? A king, maybe, uh, you know, uh, the king. Oh. <laughs> Down around Memphis way? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, eastern king. Tennessee. Um, that's where he's going to wind up uh, making it down there. Uh, he moves out to uh, originally Alabama and then makes it over to Tennessee until arriving in uh, Greenville, Tennessee, which uh, he falls in love with immediately. Now, you ever been somewhere, LP, and you were just like, this is where I'm staying? Yeah, it's a nice, you know, you ride through a town and you say, this is really nice. This mm-hmm. is, for whatever reason, whatever it is that you might be looking for. Yep. Uh, mine is, uh, unfortunately, Jacksonville Beach, Florida. I was like, this is it. I don't want to go anywhere else. Now, it probably had something to do with uh, the, the girls in bikinis and, you know, the waves coming through and then like nine bars all lined up, one right <laughs> next to each other. Yeah. Probably had something to do with it, but... Anyway, uh, he's loving it down here in Tennessee. He sets up a tailor shop in front of his home and quickly finds success. There's no tailors out there for some reason, right? Well, he's got a skill. I mean, he did spend, what, five or six years with Mr. Selby that uh, he does have, he has acquired skills, so. And he was proud of it, too. He he would often, yeah, (laughs) prospect. (laughs) Well, he would brag that his stitches never broke. Right. So that was his whole thing, that he did good quality work. So that's a good tailor. You ever have a tailor-made suit, Cahoons? I have not. Oh, buddy, change your life. So, out in Dubai, when I was doing armed security out there, I'll make this one fast to hop right back in. My name is Big Kahuna. I am a pimp. I need to get... Buddy, we're going to find it. There's a guy, little Phil, he's a deaf Filipino guy that comes out to the base out in Dubai. And he sits there and he he messes, he tells you jokes the whole time. But he he takes your measurements and then uh, you pick out patterns in the suit. And then, like, within two to three weeks, your suits get delivered. So... Now, all of a sudden, I'm walking around. I'm blonde hair, blue-eyed K.P. Burke walking around in a tailor-made suit out in uh, the friggin' desert in the middle of Dubai smoking nice cigars and everything. There's a reason why all the people thought that we were rugby players. All right? <laughs> I don't have a neck. That helps, too. All right? It has a little something to do with it. Flintstone. But Meet the Flintstones. <laughs> I have been called Barney Rubble before. That's the sad part. You know what it sucks, too? When I lose weight, I get called Gary Busey. There's no winning. <laughs> There's no in-between There's no winning. for you. Nope. Um... But uh, oh, poor KP. That's my problem. My cross to bear, if you will. But uh, what so, was what was our boy Andrew Johnson's cross that he had to bear? Oh, we're we're getting. Oh, there. he's got a couple. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a couple. Now, uh, there's a loser within a loser here too. What we call loserception. Okay. Uh, so we're gonna get to that here in a second. Dun dun. But uh, he sets up his tailor shop and he's uh, he's finding some success here. Uh, his abilities as a tailor make him uh, enough money to own some land, and he dabbles a little bit in real estate here. And in 1827, at age 18, Johnson would marry his uh, go, who would go on to be his lifelong partner, uh, Eliza McCardle. 
who was uh, two years younger than him. So he's 18 and she's 16. Yeah, so oddly, which isn't Which isn't uncommon for the yeah, time. That's an age-appropriate marriage, not right. for nothing. This ain't, uh, this ain't Edgar Allan Poe marrying a girl who's right. like, you know, and 12. And also his, uh, his cousin. cousin. Yeah. But anyhow. A, we won't speak of consent laws nevermore. Right. Oh, God. So... Um, yeah, so the, they go and they actually have five children, and uh, Eliza actually continues to help her husband learn to read and write at a higher level. She supports him. She's quiet though, All right? She's not like a, she's not um, out on the town. She's kind of a very quiet woman. In fact, later on in life, she almost doesn't even want to uh, partake in some of his bigger uh, exploits, if you will. I'll get to that in a second. But uh, also, LP, jump in when you got something. No, that's all right. Go ahead. But, um, so he's moved out west now. He's out here. Things are working out. Uh, now, the, the man who married Andrew and uh, Eliza, did you pick up on this, LP? Yeah, that was a pretty cool little side why, note. Why don't you tell us about that? A twist, yeah, talk a about twist. a little tie-in here. Well, Andrew and Eliza um, get married, in, uh, and the guy who performed the ceremony, the marriage ceremony, was Mordecai Lincoln, who happens to be a cousin of our own Abe Lincoln. So... That's or actually, awesome. not a cousin. Yeah, of not of of Abe, but of Abe's father. So I mean, there's it's there's still there. a they're, they're there's a family. Break. Yeah, they're kin. <laughs> well, he they're becomes kin uh, he becomes good friends with Mordecai Lincoln. Actually, that they wind up running for office together. Yeah, my cousin was the president of the United States. <laughs> not yet. But. Except his brains is all over that theater. Oof. Yeah. Theater. Theater. Get it. Theater. Right. We should look in. I wonder if Mordecai Lincoln outlived Abe. That's worth looking into. Let's. See. I'll Google that later. Um. But uh, as we were talking about here, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, now, Johnson decides now it's time to make his foray into the political realm, which is going to become what he's known for. He is originally run as Alderman by his friends. That's how dumb I am when I first heard the term Alderman. I thought that was a guy's last name. <laughs> so I was like, ah, Jewish fellow. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was interesting. So he makes uh, he's run as Alderman by his friends and his handy skills as an orator and his working class appeal because he idolizes Andrew Jackson, the uh, the the People's Democrat, if you will, um, quickly leads to him becoming the mayor of his beloved Greenville. That's not bad, man. You're, yeah. you're trying to escape your life as a tailor. You're a runaway yeah. apprentice from uh, North Carolina. And now they're making you uh, a politico in, in Greenville. Well, uh, now, the hot topic of the day is clearly slavery. Okay, they're trying to figure out what to do with it. But now feelings are, are – there's a, a tension. There's the morality side of it. Now there's the fear of, well, what are we going to do? This Nat Turner rebellion just happened. I think 55 people were killed. Yeah, that was a, that was a, a sad situation. But the Nat Turner uh, slave rebellion, actually, was where the slaves – there was a number of different rebellions or uprisings, if you will, of the slave population. But that one was uh, – that one was scary to the to the controlling white force that uh, oh, these yeah. people are taking up arms and coming back at us. Yeah, it was uh, it was wild stuff, and they didn't know what to quite what to do with everything here. So the, the issue is now you're combining fear with the the morality issue and the tension over it and the uh, the get off my lawn party type people. There's a lot of weird shit going on here, but slavery is the cause du jour, if you will. Um, Slave states and abolition states are jockeying for power. New territories are being disputed constantly. Johnson, who did own slaves, all right, and here's one of those caveats, okay? Yes, he was a slave owner, but he's also got a reputation for being very, very good to his slaves. Now, the first slave he bought was a girl named Dolly, age 16, who uh, he was extremely kind to, Kahuna. Now, she was dark, um, very, very dark skin. For some reason, her kids came out not so dark. All right, so now there's really 
There's the potential that Andrew Johnson was fathering some uh, some children with uh, hey, you with like Dolly. That dark. Dark. I like <laughs> so, yeah, it's a. It's always a fun thing with that. Where uh, that, actually, there was something in the news not too long ago that Aaron Burr uh, had um, African Americans found that they were uh, descended from him. Also, so. I found uh, there was just something you said that I thought was hilarious. I love the I loved when you said, "Oh, he treats his slaves really well." Yeah, really well. <laughs> he treats the just it, say it back. The slaves. Oh, yeah, really th- well. that's why I said before that I said there is a caveat because it is one of those. <laughs> baffling things where you're just like hey is it wrong to own a person well yeah but i mean but i mean i treat them nice they're, yeah <laughs> almost as nice as my wife <laughs> yeah that's uh that's where it gets even weirder yeah. but, oh good god um so now uh, this part's interesting here uh there's a lot of stuff going on uh johnson is proving himself to be a little bit of a, a maverick in uh, tennessee politics he uh is known in the house of representatives as a, like i said a maverick the two parties at the time were the whigs who LP, you and I kind of talked about the Whigs in earlier episodes. Right. But uh, the Whigs were – I don't want to call them – they weren't the uh, the predecessors to uh, the Republican Party, but they were – there was a lot of Republican ideas. You know, the, the politics of the time are just completely all mixed up and, and when you uh, – and a big dividing force – between all these political parties is the issue of slavery. That you know, do you have the right. the right to own people? And should the states be allowed to govern themselves? Which, in a lot of ways, just means should local government be in a power, you know, in right, effect decide. to do something, or do we want this big federal? So you're still coming back to the like the old clash of uh, the Jeffersons versus you know, uh, it's the Federalists versus the Whigs, all this other shit. I mean, it's wild stuff, but. Um, I believe the beef back then was the Federalists versus the Democrats. I think that was it. And then there was it, – it's a whole crazy mixed up story. But what winds up happening – okay, get it out of your system, LP. All right. All right. Well, I didn't do it directly. No, I, I said there. I was like, if he does it into the microphone, I'm going to fight him on air. <laughs> Sorry. He will hop over the table. Sorry, yeah. fans. <laughs> Well, uh, Johnson agreed with uh, you know a lot of uh, certain issues, like he didn't like um, the idea of the executive branch having too too much power, which oddly comes into affect him in his later years. Um, and he uh, worships his political idol Andrew Jackson, who is both a Democrat and a fellow Tennessean. That's that funny thing where you just move somewhere and then you decide that's who your your personality. Right. Like if I wanted to say, well, I'm just a Florida boy. <laughs> All right, I spent uh, what was I down there seven years. So it's like six or seven years, but I can't pretend I'm from Florida. I'm still I'm a kid from Jersey, man. That's right. the bottom line. Here. Right, you're a so, transplant. You're self-aware. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> I'm glad that sentence ended in plant. Um, <laughs> due to his requirements uh, uh, in order to be a part of um, the big Democratic political machine down here, uh, Johnson runs as a Democrat for uh, Tennessee Senate, and uh, he's actually forced to sell his tailor business now buys a larger house for his family. All right, so. He's taking in the wife and her family, too. He's got a big house. This guy's doing stuff. If you had to pick a kid who couldn't read and bet on him to win, this bet's paying off right now. Right, right. Okay? As a 10-year-old um, being put into uh, an apprenticeship program just to uh, maintain you know, your substance, if you will. Like you, at least it's room and board. I always wonder if Selby would take credit for that. He goes, oh, we knew it. The moment he walked into my tailor office as a 10-year-old boy, he said, <laughs> this kid. senator. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, unfortunately, now he owns up to eight slaves. Okay. Uh, while the political parties today are constantly evolving, like we talked about, Johnson found himself at home with the majority of the Democratic Party issues. He believed slavery to be a private property issue. So 
That's the whole thing. There's people, we always talk about this too. There's abolitionists who were racist, okay? And then there were people who were, uh, you know, proponents of slavery, wanted slavery kept around, who uh, felt it was a private property, and then would try to. So there's really, it's just an ugly issue. So. Um, you don't say. Yeah, it, it gets <laughs> yeah. it gets tough, dude. Especially when we start talking about where this story winds up, because we started it with John Wilkes Booth uh, killing Lincoln, and then the crux of the story takes place right in the immediate aftermath of that. So, um, moving the story along, he uh, he believed, uh, like I said, slavery is going to be a private property issue, but he also firmly supports the working class. And was very proud to help set up the sale of government-owned lands to those willing to settle it. So he's real big on – he's trying to be the people's champ, if you will, like Andy Jackson was. So the Democrats are engaged with a heavy infighting. They are thought to have uh, been fighting each other more aggressively than their own Whig counterparts. In 1844, James K. Polk – does that name sound familiar, Cahoons? Uh, wait, what was it again? James K. Polk. He was the president uh, during the uh, U.S. war with Mexico. Okay. Yep. So he was a, he was the big land grabber. Oh yeah, and a, a leading Democrat, real big on manifest destiny. Um, he is now uh, elected president in 1844. Johnson had spoken highly of Polk and even campaigned for him privately. These two dudes hated each other. Not fans. In Polk's own, uh, were you going to say something? About no, that? no. I was just going to say. I mean, he was he was a, a outwardly a, a Polk supporter, but um, behind closed doors, he hated Polk. They didn't get along at all. But he was he was true to the party. He was he's still a, a, a Democrat. He was a party man. Yeah, it's like when uh, when I'm talking to Mike and Ming, and then I'll just be like, I'll be like, oh, dude, Kahuna is great, man. And they're like, yeah, yeah, Kahuna's great. He's really. <laughs> <laughs> right. Definitely a guy we want to keep we'll talk, we'll talk about. That is that. literally my biggest fear. Like we'll that, was, that was horrible to sit through. <laughs> well, I'm also me too. Where I have a, I'll get screwed up in my head that I'll have like some of my favorite comics, like like guys that I'm, I'm I think are my friends. Uh, that, that I looked up to, and I'll sit there and be like, I haven't heard from them in a while. Do they hate me? Did they just tolerate me because I was in the room? Do they actually like? Was, was I funny or did they just know you're supposed to say that? Oh, it's the best when you have friends who know that you're a filmmaker and don't invite you to the movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm calling you out, Scotty. You never listen anyway. <laughs> He's talking about Scott Brennan, former guest on the show. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, now it uh, it gets um, it continues to to get wilder. Once you dabble in politics, politics is like heroin. All right, you start off just snorting it. Before you know it, you're uh, you're full on bore, just jamming the needle in. So, um, Johnson saw his power and the power of the Democrats at large under attack from outside as well as from within. The party starts splitting between uh, abolitionists and pro-slavery. Again, the slave issue yep. is uh, d- divisive for a lot of different and, politicos. And the thing I keep wanting to hammer home is we're looking at this in 2020 because we're looking at it in the rearview mirror. Slavery, bad. Yeah. Okay, not hard to sit there and say that now. Looking at, but back then it was, well, I'm against slavery. All right, why? Yeah, they had, there was follow-up was, questions right, back right, then. Right, it wasn't a clear cut. Everybody, everybody knows that slavery is bad. This was like, well, no, there's there's very positive things about it back in that particular time. I mean, that was the, well, no shit. There's the, no, the, entire, the entire economy is based on it. Uh, it's Listen, specifically, so, in the I know South. it's not your thought process. I just can't help but defend it every time. Ah. Uh, are you? It's a, I have to. No, it's okay. Guys, Kahuna, big, big, big proponent of slavery. He believes in it strongly. Oh, wants shut a up. Pro- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Very much so, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I know a guy. 
It's a, <laughs> we can get you stuff. Well, um, uh, now here's the problem. The Whig Party, uh, their power is kind of uh, declining nationally, but they're still very strong over in Tennessee. And Johnson's political enemies, President Polk now among them, keep diminishing John, uh, Johnson's influence. And his, They actually reframe his district. Did you, hear, did you pick up on that, LP? No, I didn't. I did so not. Actually. They redraw the map for the district he represents to make him that much – uh, less powerful. You mean Jerry Morandering? No, that, yeah. that, that's something <laughs> brand new, right? Johnson's district? Yeah, so they pretty much are tampering with uh, his power because they, they realize that he's popular, but uh, again, the Whigs are still popular over in eastern Tennessee where he's from, so there's a good chance that you can, if you don't like a guy, what do you do? You set him up so he can't win his reelection. So it's just, hey, man, I'm sorry, you can't come in today. You didn't win the office. Yeah, the I mean, ten- even Tennessee is a weird state in that one end of the state is very pro-slavery, if you will, and the the opposite end of the state, uh, not so much. So there was a lot of division even within the state, but in and around Johnson's district, um, the Whigs were still still strong. In other words, the pro-slavery aspect was still pretty strong. Absolutely. Now, uh, here's where the story takes another interesting turn. Uh, They felt that um, what was going to wind up happening was that uh, they were going to be able to just kind of kick Johnson out. Remember we talk about Teddy Roosevelt all the time where they're like, oh, we're going to make him vice president so he can't affect anybody, and then boom, yeah. he's the president. <laughs> well, similar thing happens here with old Andy Johnson. His enemies get him kind of kicked out. He laments out loud that he no longer has a career in politics. He's thinking, what am I going to do? Do I, I got to try to live off my real estate? Do I go back to working as a tailor? What am I going to do here? Um, well, as it turns out, his political career very far from over. He winds up being run for and winning the position of governor of the entire state of Tennessee. Yeah. Decent consolation. Fail up. Yeah. But again... That's a perfect term. Perfect term. But uh, looking at the governor of a state in 2020 eyes versus, uh, you know, 1850 eyes, it's a little different. The governor really didn't... wasn't a very powerful position. Um, You really couldn't enact any laws... You, you, you could propose legislation in Tennessee specifically. They had different charters. Right. You could propose legislation, but you could not veto it. So it's right. like, I got a great idea, guys. Why don't we uh, – I was thinking everybody gets together and – oh, you don't want to do that? All right. Well, I'll just uh, – I'll just sit here and – I'm uh, I'm just going to shove my own head up my ass and I'll right. uh, you guys give me a call when you want to do something. But right. I mean to cut you off. Continue. No, that was that was pretty much it. That you you could make a suggestion to the governing body that uh, hey, you guys ought to really enact the law to do such and such, and but he had no really strong influence on making that that happen unless uh, you know he's got some political dirt on you, something <laughs> movers and shakers. Well, now here's what the position lends itself to, which I thought was good. Um, yeah, he can't veto anything, but he does get a lot of public speaking gigs as the governor. And what do we say was his strong suit, Cahoons? Public speaking. Hell yeah. So he's now at the bully pulpit, as it's called, making these great speeches, really revving up kind of this idea of uh, Tennessee pride, all that other stuff. Uh, keeps talking about his humble beginnings. Now he's risen now to be the governor of Tennessee, which is funny because he, he later resumes this position, but in a slightly different capacity. Right. <laughs> We're about at the halfway mark uh, of this guy's story here. Now, we're trying to calmly jam in as much info as we can because we are about to hit hyperspace, okay? We're, we are in the Millennium Falcon. We're about to jump through an asteroid field. <laughs> it gets wild. So uh, Johnson parlays his time as governor into uh, what he had hoped would become a presidential nomination. 
Uh, he does not get it. Okay. Instead, he has to settle for a return to D.C., but this time as a senator. So now he's so, a senator of Tennessee. Yeah. So he was in the House of Representatives. Now he's a full-blown senator. Okay. So now that he's back in Congress. Now he's got baby. a little more power than he, a lot oh, more yeah. power than he did as just a governor of the state, okay, though, which was pretty he, uh, much a do-nothing position. Let me ask you, uh, father of mine. Yes. Uh, Yes, Real quickly, son. can you uh, can you explain to the audience listening at home the difference between a representative and a senator? No, senator, we only have, well, it's going to be two senators for every state. Correct. And representative is um, determined by the population. Correct. So New Jersey has 18,482 representatives. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at this particular time, too, one of the big, another contentious point is for the Southerners is the, uh, how, do, how do we count the slaves? That we might have X number of people in the white population and we got Y number of people in the slave population, but there were only, I believe it was a, a three-fifths. So for every five blacks, you only had, that it would only count as three on the population polls, which led into the number of representatives you would have. The three-fifths compromise. Yes. Right. Now, a funny, funny comic. I know good, uh, I, I won't call him a good buddy. He's just a funny dude. He's a really good guy. We, we've been on shows together in the city and stuff. Uh, Josh Wesson is his name. Uh, black dude, kind of a stoner dude. Just a funny, funny-ass guy. He has a great bit about that. He goes, you guys know we used to count as three-fifths of a person? You bring that shit back, because when I'm in line for the club, I'm not trying to pay full price. <laughs> paying you three fists. <laughs> so, yeah, and all oh, that, gold. all that goes back to the whole balance of power between the slaveholding states and the and the free states, um, and that whole balance of power. And then, as you bring new states into the union, are they going to be slave states or are they going to be free states? That is going to certainly tip the balance of power. I mean, that's where this is all at as to who's going to who's going to be able we to We don't know where we're going to be here. Yeah. Right. It is uh it's wild times here. Johnson hoped that he would be by the way Cahoons, you tell us what you got to do if we got to start uh hurrying anything up or whatever we got to do. I know you got other people coming in today. We'll do. So um so uh Here's the interesting thing. So he gets back into uh, D.C. this time as a senator. Johnson was hoping that he could be a compromise candidate. Okay, uh, His loyalty and his popularity in the South made him very palatable in order to get Southern votes. The issue of slavery is reaching this boiling point like you just talked about, LP. Johnson himself owned slaves, felt that slavery was a private property issue because, again, it's like, well, I, I get that it's a moral thing, but I mean, why are you coming and taking my shit? You know, It's, it's almost like if you were to look at it in um, – there's no good comparison for it because uh, just the morality of it is always going to be wrong. But if we made something illegal tomorrow and then went around, but you purchased it when it was legal, then they're trying to come and take it. So if we all of a sudden said podcasting is illegal and this place had to be shut down overnight, we're not going to go without a little bit of a fight. You want to know some answers. You know, so. dang well you would still be doing American Loser. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have to You've go liked this concept for way too long. Well, again, we'll just we, have to go offshore to, uh, beyond the 10-mile limit. Pirate podcasting. <laughs> pirate podcasting, so, yeah. Uh, again, Johnson hoped that he could be the compromise candidate. That was his goal here. But the country is intent on dividing. Johnson loves the South but holds a deep loyalty to the United States. I did not know this about him until we did the research for the show. You want to talk about a goddamn patriot. Hoofa. This, this is where it gets the, the, the hairs on your arms rise up a little bit. Um, so uh, he is um, deeply, deeply loyal to the United States. Now, the election of Lincoln 
uh, whose first vice president is uh, – want to guess who his first vice president was, Cahoons? Uh, I don't even want to guess because I know I'm going to be wrong. Hannibal Hamlin. You ever hear of him? There was a great movie, Silence of the Lambs. That's a different Hannibal. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. Well, Hannibal Hamlin is, uh, uh, I believe, a senator from Maine. Um, okay. Maine. Yeah. I knew it was Maine. I just didn't know. I think it was a senator. It was his position. But he's actually Lincoln's uh, unsung hero, that he was the first vice president. So um, that's the first ticket. It gets him elected. All right. So it's yeah, the, so the, the presidential election of 1860, again, all of these political parties are all divided up. And you say Democrats. Well, there's Northern Democrats. There's Southern Democrats. Some of the Northern Democrats want are abolitionists. They're not. A, they're not for slavery. They're against. Um, they're for abolishing slavery. There's Southern Democrats that are. That's that's my stuff. That's my private property. You can't be messing with that. So they're more pro-slavery. Right. Uh, now there's the one percent too. And then even even. The Republican Party was initiated or started in the eight, in the presidential election of 1860. So, you know, what, a new who, party coming to town. A new party is in town, and they're calling themselves the Republicans. Now, there might be a lot of people that were formerly Whigs or uh, Federalists or whatever political association you want to put to them, but I think that's one of the big reasons why Lincoln was able to pull it off as far as getting elected is because everybody else was so splintered that they couldn't gather a unifying force around any other oh, yeah. candidate. When they're fighting from within, that's when other people wind up coming in here. There was a, this past election. A lot of people didn't see uh, the results coming that way, but there was a fracture within the Democratic Party at the time. So this happens a lot, too. That's why Woodrow Wilson became president because the Republicans were fighting too much. But – that being said, I, uh, you have to get to this one part of the story here. So uh, the election of Lincoln proves to be the spark that starts the fire of secession. Johnson warned his constituents all right, that uh, leaving the union is not the answer. They're saying, well, we're out of here. We're going to start our own country now. Uh, he speaks publicly at length against seceding from the union. A lot of people in Tennessee are not going to agree with this, but I thought this was a great line. I will not give up this government. No, I intend to stand by it, and I invite every man who is a patriot to rally around the altar of our common country and swear by our God and all that is sacred and holy that the Constitution shall be saved and the Union preserved. He likes the American flag and he likes the Constitution, Dad. Is that going to come back to the uh, tail end of the story Yes, here? it is. Yes, it is. Oh, and, no. and, I mean, his feelings was, all right, if you don't agree with what's going on, then change it. But don't split and, you know, just take your ball and go home kind of a thing and start your own country. You have to make those changes or make those corrections as you see it right. within the existing uh, form of government, within the Constitution of the, and stay within the United States. Now, this is important, too. He even personally meets with a certain Mississippi senator, a guy by the name of Jefferson Davis. You remember him, Cahoons? Yes, I do. You weren't with us on that episode. Jefferson Davis, though. Yeah, Jefferson Davis. He was the. He would go on to become the president of the Confederacy. Yeah, that was a that was a Mike Zapsic episode, I think. Um, you edited it for us, I believe. Um, but he was a former loser on this one. He was also the the boss of Hazard County. That's. <laughs> Thanks for keeping it real. Uh, <laughs> I do love it. His, I, I do maintain that if 
the three of us were on uh, some form of family feud or jeopardy for just That's useless right. information, we would be unstoppable. We'd be killers. So. <laughs> yeah, and when you say Mississippi senator, uh, we're still within the United States Correct. of America. The Confederacy has not yet formed. So Correct. Mr. Jefferson Davis is a Mississippi senator, and we now have Mr. Uh, Andrew Johnson, a Tennessee senator, pleading with him to stay within the stay within the Union. Now, why does he want him to stay within the Union? Did you pick up on that? Uh, I think they would be able to um, the block. Oh, the, yeah, they would check some balances, check baby. Check some balances, right? So All I mean, right. you would still have a voting block that's going to be pro-slavery within. And you could defeat Lincoln. The United States, so that right. this comes into that juggling of power with executive orders and all that other stuff. So right. We might have lost the presidential election, but we still might be able to control the Senate, exactly. or we still might be able to control the House of Representatives. Gridlock, baby, gridlock. So um, he warns him. He goes, "What well, you know? Don't do this. We're gonna we got a new president, but." I mean, we have a new country. Uh, Johnson, his advice was not taken. And in 1861, at the outbreak of the Civil War, Johnson, this is where he really makes a name for himself, becomes the only, and the rock said, only <laughs> senator from a seceding state to remain loyal to the United States. So, really? Yeah, that's how you get, um, you want to, that's a resume builder right there. You know what I mean? So uh, this causes considerable strife for Johnson and his family as Tennessee is now deep in the belly of this newly formed Confederacy. Eastern Tennessee, where Johnson resided and was still quite popular, was now kind of reluctantly a part of the Confederacy. Because back then it was weird if you were – that was your – we talk about city-states a lot, right? It's almost like like Sparta and Athens and all that other stuff. Like you don't think of yourselves as all Greek. You think of yourself as a Spartan or an Athenian. Right. These guys are from Tennessee. Now, is this one of those things that he that we look back on and we don't debate regardless? Like, oh, that dude was a patriot. Like, it's one of those things. Like, oh, oh, there's yeah, no doubt down. about it. Yeah. Like, even though, like, later on, you understand why he's on this show. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We will pull the curtain back. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, he's a wild guy, man. But he definitely is uh, two feet firmly entrenched in uh, the idea that America is. We got something going here. All right. So, he's great that way he must have loved team america it was uh, a <laughs> that's a great way to make everyone in their brain curse without actually cursing so solid play <laughs> on that um now johnson's decision to remain loyal uh, immediately catches uh the attention of newly elected president lincoln who after speaking with johnson at length makes johnson governor of uh, tennessee yet again this time military governor yeah, military governor. I mean, again, now the the Civil War now breaks out and there's fighting back and forth. Tennessee is a battleground. I think every county within Tennessee had a battle of one size or another within Tennessee Jesus. back and forth. So, I mean, you yeah, talk about the war. Boys, they're good at fighting. It's brother against brother kind of a thing. Tennessee definitely saw their, uh, saw their share of the action, if you will, back and forth. Um, once the the federals once the union army was able to bring tennessee back under union control because it wasn't initially um then lincoln um, appoints johnson as the military governor of tennessee just wild stuff man now this move puts him into a weird spot he has to try to get his family out of enemy territory now so what was home yesterday is enemy territory today right <laughs> wild times here for him but uh he actually is able to uh, defend uh, – immediately, by the way, as soon as he gets made the military governor, Confederate troops raid his home, confiscate his lands, and the slaves uh, – they, they take away his slaves, and they turned his house into a military hospital. 
Johnson would defend Nashville uh, admirably, as it was uh, reported, to the best of his abilities. Um, he would demand loyalty oaths from public officials and banned all newspapers with Confederate leanings. Johnson's efforts, however, are constantly thwarted via raids by Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest. Does that name ring a bell to you, Cahoons? Nathan Bedford Forrest. Yeah, so so this guy, this this guy from Tennessee, who's the military governor from the Union, going standing in opposition to the Confederacy, is now being uh, harassed nonstop by a Confederate general that's going to go on to create the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, Nathan Bedford Forrest. Yeah. Oh, he ain't that a good, Nathan Bedford Forrest. Yeah, he ain't a good guy. Um, <laughs> there, like, it's a weird thing. We were talking about it too with uh, cousin Aaron and stuff. There's a lot of Confederates that are actually admirable people. There's there definitely was like, well, here's our cause, and this is what we're going for, and I can't stand again Virginia. You know, Robert E. Lee, stuff. right? Uh, Stonewall Jackson, pretty great guy. Uh, but then there's Nathan Bedford Forrest. We were just like, Jesus Christ! Oh my God. Give me a, a break different. here. Yeah, that's a, that guy's right a Hitler. Um, but again, you're saying that as a Jersey boy. You go down to Tennessee and some of the uh, uh, southern, southern brethren might have a little different take on him. But and, again, and, yes. I'm not defending anybody here, oh, but totally. I'm just saying you know, it's where you're yeah. from. Hilarious for Kahuna's segment at the end here. He's already got the, the casting couch finished up. This is fantastic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't wait to throw to you for that in a minute or two, buddy. Um, and again... Talk to me here. It's a Monday night. It's chaos. So if you have other people here, if they need to start in the no other studio. No one's knocked on the door yet. You're good. Okay. Well, I don't know if anyone's texting you, buddy. I try no to be, one's texting. Try to be good to you. I here. am not popular besides this show. That's uh, uh, You are popular. <laughs> That's the problem. So, um, so weird side note here. Johnson is a divisive figure uh, on the slavery issue. He often did the right thing but always begrudgingly. When Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, Johnson asked that Tennessee be excluded from it. He later caved in and decided that abolition was the only way to preserve the Union. So it was kind of like, we got to get rid of the slavery thing ain't going to work. All right. So begrudgingly, he goes, I guess we'll get rid of slavery. Yeah, but he's like, well, that's a good idea, but not for Tennessee, right? Because so I can still keep my slaves. (laughs) Yeah. Also, he needed in order to, you know, for later political ambitions, too. So but eventually, as the nation would go, Johnson would go uh, in suit. He is he's this is an American dude here, man. So. Uh, Johnson's leadership under duress made him a desirable candidate for the position of vice president during Lincoln's upcoming reelection. Lincoln needed the support of the Southern Democrats, also known as the War Democrats. Okay, um, Lincoln had several candidates in mind. Johnson was among them. Here's my favorite tie-in. All right, uh, I'm gonna go nuts here for a second. So um, now I'm gonna real quickly. I just want to cover the real loser in this story because. Uh, Hannibal Hamlin is the real loser in the story. Mm-hmm. All right. He's well-liked, and he did his duties as VP quite well, but the need for a Southerner on the ticket to try to preserve the idea that, well, you can't really leave because you're still, you know, that there's the vice president is from the South. So you can't, there's no other country. There's still elected officials working for the U.S. government in the South. Yeah. Now, to take it back, too, in the, in the election of 1860, where it was Lincoln and Hamlin on the same ticket, they won, but it was because there were so many other people in the field that, you know, they didn't win by the landslide. Mr. Lincoln is not like Mr. Popularity kind of a thing. Not at all. And now you had all these Southern states form, you know, actually seceding from the Union and um, um, forming their own country. We're in the midst of a civil war. Things are not going real well with the, with the Union in the beginning of the war. And with the second uh, presidential election, the election of 1864, 
the first couple of years of the war were not going well for the Union, and Lincoln really needed a couple of victories because people were tired. I mean, you, you, when your sons and fathers and, and cousins and brothers and everybody else are, are being killed and maimed, and you're in the midst of the, this bloody civil war. Hamlin was a, a, from Maine. Lincoln is a northerner, so that they didn't want the election of 1864 to appear that this is just a, a rehash of the North versus the South. Well, what are they calling it, too? They're calling it at the time, the, depending on where you go, it's the not the Civil War, the right. War of Northern Aggression. Northern, of War of Northern Aggression, that these northerners are telling these southern states or bullying these southern states as to how what they can do with their property, with their, with their slaves. So poor old, uh, sound. poor old Hannibal Hamlin is getting kicked to the curb. Things. He's getting kicked to the curb here uh, in favor of uh, a new guy that's going to help uh, promote a unity ticket. So that's my favorite weird tie-in we've done so far. Lincoln had several candidates in mind. Johnson was among them. It wasn't until 1864, though, when Lincoln dispatched one of his most trusted men <laughs> down to Nashville on a fact-finding mission. Now, you've been to Nashville, Dad. It's a drinking Have, town. Yeah, well, yeah. So who are you going to send down to Nashville to <laughs> well, see how things are going down there? you need a guy that can handle his uh, partying. Yep. Ready uh, for it, Kahuna? Ready. Devil Dan Sickles. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> right. Nah, I'm going to use it just because it's just so good. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> are you serious? So Lincoln sends Dan Sickles probably uh, hopping down on one leg to go. Uh, no, not yet. Not yet? No. I he, thought this year? was 64. 64, Gettysburg 64, was 63, right, yep, yep, July 1st, right, 2nd, and 3rd. Right. My bad, yep. Um, oh, man, I can't wait to show you this, my man. He, freaking Andrew gets down there. He's like, yo, want to see my leg in a jar? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Devil Dan makes his appearance down there, and he, he denies it. He goes, ah, I'm just here hanging out. I want to see what's going on. But they say that had a direct result on uh, Johnson getting the position as vice president. Yeah, that's so. it, because Dan Sickles lost his leg in July of 63, mm -hmm. and now this is the election of 64, so he's he's not serving in the Army, but he's off on he a fact-finding yeah. fact mission for the president. That's unbelievable. Pretty wild stuff. Um, now, Johnson was nominated as uh, the VP, and they hastily win the uh, re-election for Lincoln over uh, George B. McClellan, who was running a uh, former governor of New Jersey, by the way. Yeah, um, it's our uh, Jersey Italian. It is for, our Jersey uh, Italian. Jersey uh, Italian. Another weird episode. fact, New Jersey never voted for Lincoln. Lincoln never won New Jersey in either no. of his presidential elections. So. Instead of running on a Republican ticket, the two actually run on a National Unity Party platform instead. And there's yeah, Johnson a, and Lincoln. Yes. They're not Republicans. They're the National they're Americans. Union. Yeah. They're the National Union Party because they didn't want this to go to a Republican-Democrat big vote-off, if you will, or an election. So they once again, they form really another, another party, and then the Republicans realize that by splitting the Republican Party again over this whole issue of who their presidential election, they, they form another political party, the National Union Party. Well, uh, it, you're right on that one, too, because uh, what winds up happening is that uh, they do win uh, handily, like we said. And there's a very famous political cartoon that actually shows uh, Lincoln as a rail splitter, which was his day job, and uh, Johnson as a tailor. And so the two of them were using their skills to repair the nation. So right. that was kind of a cool image. Stitch the nation and... So, Unify the nation again. Kuhn has stepped out here, so we're going to figure out uh, how much more time we have on this one. Um, Johnson is known, like we said, for being a skilled public speaker, but one of his most infamous moments would come from uh, 
this this I thought was a good story here. So I'm even going to wait for the cahoots to get settled back in. Um, take your time, buddy. I, I apologize. It's um, let me know what we need to do. If you need to take a pause here and then set up in the no, other studio to finish. You sure? Yeah, they're going to come in here. Okay. Um, well, uh, like we said, Johnson, great public speaker, but uh, he winds up uh, coming up to DC. Yeah, well, they won the election. Yep, they Johnson won the election. and Lincoln are so, uh, are back in office. So he's got to get sworn in now, right? Decides he's gonna. He got a little too drunk at a dinner party the night before, and then uh, the day he's about to be sworn in, he winds up uh, taking from Hannibal Hamlin. All right, the guy whose job he just stole, takes from him uh, a bottle of whiskey and makes two really stiff drinks. We're talking like ninety percent, you know, whiskey, maybe ten percent bitters or something like that, oh. um, and then. Pounds those two drinks and uh, goes to make his uh, – it hits him right away. And he goes to make his speech uh, to be sworn in. And he's like stumbling around and he's incoherent. He's going on and on and on and he can't get a fucking – he can't get anything out, man. Uh, so everybody knows he's drunk there. It's like that scene from The Sopranos when uh, Michael shows up high at the uh, the funeral. And he's trying to talk and everybody's like, this guy's on something. Right. So just picture being poor Hannibal Hamlin. Yeah, well, well, it was really the vice president's duty to swear in the president, mm-hmm. but being now the the vice, the first vice president, Hamlin, from Lincoln's first term, is no longer going to be with him for the second term. Uh, he's supposed to swear in um, uh, Johnson, but Johnson is is pie, pie eyed. He's he's out. Oh, he's you, said, you said two drinks. My research said three. That he threw down three glasses of whiskey right before his swearing-in oh, ceremony boy. in his inaugural speech. Yeah, he was um, he was a little toasted, and um, Lincoln's looking on like, oh boy, kind of like shakes his head and then goes on to give his uh, uh, inauguration address, if you will. But again, picture Harry, I'm sorry, not Harry Hamlin, <laughs> Hannibal Hamlin, uh, sitting there and saying like, uh, you guys, you sure? sure this is the guy, Lincoln? This is the guy that's better than me. This is my job, all right? Hamlin had to swear in Johnson too, by the way. That's like... That's like having to uh, make out with, uh, you know, the the guy who's dating, uh, you know, your ex-girlfriend. So uncomfortable position there. Um, But uh, as we're moving on here, Lincoln stands by his uh, his VP. Uh, Johnson disappears from the public eye for a few weeks following the embarrassment. Uh, Lincoln stands by him, though, and he says, uh, Andy made a bad slip that day, but I know Andy Johnson well, and Andy Johnson is no drunkard. So Lincoln covered him, man. now, that being said, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to wrap up for a second here. Okay. And Cahoons, you tell me if we got to readjust or whatever. Okay. Okay. So um, the Civil War was nearing its end. Lincoln had a tough task ahead of him. But Johnson seemed to be the right man for the job. Ulysses S. Grant, another future president, right now the head of the Army of the, the Potomac, had just captured Richmond. And Johnson's beloved Tennessee was now back in Union control. They were finally receiving federal aid from troops. So... Lincoln and Johnson would meet face-to-face for the first time since Johnson's drunken debacle on April 14, 1865. During their meeting, Johnson made sure Lincoln knew not to be too soft on the Confederates. Yeah, that was, a, if I'm just going to jump in here, too, from, the, from their inaugural, their second inaugural, to now April Johnson and Lincoln never really had a whole lot of interaction. So as Lincoln is now preparing, because the the end is in sight, the end of the war is in sight, that they're only weeks away from the surrender at Appomattox and uh, the rest of the uh, 
Confederate armies were going to quickly surrender. But Johnson was never in on any kind of cabinet meetings with Lincoln or anything else. So he really didn't know his plans from the drunken— He's brand new. Right. That Well, then that drunken scene that he uh, had at the inauguration, he was really out of the public's eye for a long while to let that whole— fiasco died down a little bit so he was never really in on what Lincoln's intentions were for the for the aftermath of the of the Civil War so but uh, now we're now we're up to finally Lincoln and Johnson's having a sit-down a face-to-face and it was what was the date Kev uh, the date that I have because here's what we're gonna do just uh we're, we're I'm calling this one on the fly here uh, we're gonna wrap this episode up in the next 30 seconds and what we're going to do is we're going to do this as a two-parter because there's so much for the Reconstruction era that I, it would, we would not be doing it uh, justice if we bum-rush through this. So we're going we're to wrap this up real quick. I'm going to get us to a stopping point. Okay. We're going to take a break for a second, figure out what we want to do. Maybe we record the second half of this later tonight. Maybe we do uh, we'll come back next week to finish it. But it's just very important here. that. No, it's a good stop point. It is a great stop point. So uh, this is what the, the two of them meet face-to-face, Lincoln and Johnson. Um, they meet face-to-face April 14th, 1865. During that meeting, he tells me, he goes, you can't be too soft on these Confederates. They're traitors. All right? Later, this is Johnson saying this to Lincoln. Johnson saying that to Lincoln. And later that night, uh, Lincoln has plans. Going to go see a show with the missus. Yeah, at Ford Theater. At Ford's Theater. And on April 14th, 1865, John Wilkes Booth shoots and later kills the 16th president of the United States. So now the tailor, the escaped tailor, who grew up in a shack and couldn't read, uh, and the only you know U.S. senator from a seceding state to stay in the Union, is now being sworn in as the 17th president of the United States. Um I'll put it to you guys this way. We're going to end the episode here. If you love the show, we love you. All right. <laughs> Please follow us. Simple enough. Talk follow, about the cliffhanger. <laughs> follow us on American Loser Podcast on Instagram. Follow me at uh, KP Burke Sucks on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, KP Burke on Facebook. Come out and see me do stand up, guys. It's a great time. We have an awesome time here always. We're going to wrap this one up. We're going to figure out what we're going to do here. But um, I refuse to rush through the second half of this guy's life because it is. It's wild stuff. So tune in next week (laughs) for uh, the conclusion of uh, the impeachment of President Andrew Johnson. That is American Loser, part one. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born.